Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey gang, it's Reed. Before we get started, I want to ask you to go to powerthepolls.org. Powerthepolls.org. This is a great group. We've had their founder on the show before. They help recruit and employ election workers around the country. If you can do this, please do so. Go to powerthepolls.org. Learn about how they operate. Learn about how you can get involved and make sure that our elections are as free and fair and safe as they should be. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again coming to you solo to answer questions that come from you, the listeners and members of The Lincoln Project community. We at The Lincoln Project love your smart and thoughtful questions that come from social media, emails, our town halls, and always look forward to hearing what you all want to know. So if you have a question, please do not hesitate to ask. You can always reach us at podcast at lincolnproject.us. That's podcast at lincolnproject.us. We try and answer all our questions, and maybe you'll hear one here. So let's get going. All right. Richard Cohen asks, I think Ron DeSantis in this disgusting Martha's Vineyard stunt just ruined his chances of being the, quote, sensible Republican alternative to Trump in 2024. Obviously, huge sarcasm on sensible. But will he be held legally responsible? You know, Richard, it's a good question. Let me get to the sensible part first. I know that I have a lot of Republican family, friends, acquaintances who do think DeSantis is a sensible guy. He's smart. He's articulate. He went to Yale. He's got a beautiful family. He's running Florida the right way, which speaks a lot more to two things. One, Ron DeSantis is near total control of the state of Florida and his ability to weave a media narrative to his liking. But secondly, how far the so-called Overton window has moved in the Republican Party that a guy like DeSantis, with all of the things he does and the way he talks and the bullying tone and the sort of dehumanizing of political opponents that he does as a matter of course, shows that like that's now what sensible is, which is the definition of a sensible Republican candidate is like just not being Donald Trump. And I think that's worrisome. Will he help be held legally responsible for flying migrants unbeknownst to them under false pretenses from the state of Texas to the state of Florida for like 15 minutes and then on to Massachusetts? I don't know is the answer. The sheriff of Bear County, San Antonio, where these poor folks were picked up, has said he's going to launch an investigation. It certainly seems weird that he would not have given Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, a heads up that he was doing this. You know, if somebody other than Ron DeSantis did it, they would probably be called coyotes or picked up for human trafficking as moving asylum seekers across state lines without the notice of the federal government is probably something that's frowned upon, would be my guess. But 
as we've also seen, starting with Trump and with so many of these other people. Will DeSantis be held accountable? He might be by voters, Republican voters, if he decides to run for president, but I don't think he will be anytime soon. All right. Bill Sloan asks, why is Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who started this whole busing to sanctuary cities political stunt in the first place, not really being included in the coverage about Ron DeSantis and Martha's Vineyard? I think a huge underreported part of this story is that these guys are trying to out MAGA each other. Well, Bill, first of all, it's a great question. Second of all, I think they are trying to out MAGA each other, but Ron DeSantis is willing to sell his soul and that of anybody around him to the devil for power. Greg Abbott, I think, thinks he can, but he is the ultimate MAGA poser, and MAGA voters in Texas know it. Just as an aside, when Trump went down to Houston a few months back for a big rally, when Abbott was announced onto the stage, the whole place booed. This is Texas, right? This isn't Connecticut. This isn't Washington State. This is Texas, where he's been governor for eight years, gets booed when he goes on stage. Why doesn't he get the attention? I think on purpose. I think that Abbott loves being able to tell his Republican base and Republican media outlets that, you know, he's showing Biden how the border really works and he's going to make life harder on these blue cities. But he doesn't do it in the ostentatious, loud way that DeSantis does. And I think there's a big reason for that is Abbott is in a dogfight against Beto O'Rourke, you know, this coming November. And if it got more attention that Abbott was doing this to asylum seekers, a lot of people from places like Venezuela, a totalitarian state run by Nicolas Maduro. These people are running from either imprisonment or death or something along those lines. That there's a lot of moderate Republican voters in the suburbs of Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin and El Paso who don't like that stuff. They think it's unseemly. They think it's indecent. They think it's unbecoming for their state and they don't like it in Abbott. Now, Abbott doesn't have much to like in the first place. He's been a singular disaster as governor in the last, say, 18 months between freezing his residents, killing them with bad COVID protocols, you know, and not caring when their children are gunned down at school. So Abbott has plenty of headwinds going against him. I think that Beto is running a good campaign and will give him a run for his money. And we just hope that enough Texans agree with us on that. But Abbott is the what I would call the cynic par excellence. He and his political consultant, a guy named Dave Carney, who I've known for many years, doesn't even live in Texas, he lives in New Hampshire, have decided that the way to retain power in Texas is to go ultra MAGA. And they don't care what it means for individual Texans. And they won't. Because for Carney, it means money. And for Abbott, it means power. And that's all these guys care about. Never forget that, gang. Let's say 99.5% of Republican candidates aren't in it for public service. They don't see themselves as servants of the people. They don't see themselves as keepers of the public trust. They see themselves as finding a way to power, fame, and money. That's all they care about. It's that simple. It's not overcomplicated. These are not overly complicated people. And they tell you what they're going to do. When they tell you what they're going to do, believe them. All right. Pamela Myers asks, Lindsey Graham introducing a national abortion ban is obviously terrible on a personal rights level, but it also seems quite terrible on a political strategy level. Am I missing something here? I don't think you are, Pamela, but let's talk a little bit about it. So Lindsey Graham announced that he was going to put forth a national abortion bill that would ban any abortions after 15 weeks. 
Now, 15 weeks also, he didn't just make that up. That also happens to be the standard for most European countries. I think Poland has still outlawed abortion. But for the most part, you can get an abortion without, you know, a doctor or a psychologist or any other reason up to 15 weeks. I think that he was trying to wedge, I guess, some more conservative women into thinking, okay, well, that's not as extreme as Democrats with their third trimester abortion stuff, which is exceedingly rare and typically only if the child is not going to make it to term or if the life of the mother or both typically is at play. The problem is, is that if you're going to find somebody to put forth something like this, it should be someone who's probably actually had contact with a woman sometime in his life first. Second, it gave Democrats the opportunity to do the jujitsu the Republicans have been so good at, which is as soon as he opened his mouth, Democrats started saying national abortion ban, national abortion ban, national abortion ban, and really caught Graham in a bear trap. And again, I don't know why he did this. Even Mitch McConnell said this was not something that he would take up. And so I think it's just one of those things that, you know, Graham decided he needed one day of a spotlight. But let me talk a little bit more about the issue, because abortion, I think, as we've seen now that American women, you know, a couple of months ago woke up some of the freest people humanity has ever known, and they went to bed and they weren't, and it wasn't close. And I think that this is one of those things where you see why elections matter and elections matter because of the kind of judiciary that's in place at the Supreme Court, right? Republicans and conservatives in this country know fundamentally that their worldview is broadly unpopular with the American people. And this is how you get to a 6-3 Supreme Court with five justices who are willing to overturn Roe v. Wade. They knew when they did this, and I'm sure John Roberts, the chief justice, told them this, that they were going to rip the country culturally in two. And they did it anyway because they don't care. Clarence Thomas, you know, said, maybe we should revisit gay marriage, too. Maybe we should revisit these other things. What's the only thing he didn't include? Mixed race marriage, interracial marriages. I wonder why. So, like, they can be arch conservatives and hypocrites at the same time. We shouldn't forget that. Let me just say the last thing about this. In Ohio a few months ago, after this ruling, a 10-year-old girl was raped and she became pregnant and she couldn't get an abortion in Ohio. So she went across the border to Indiana. This is a little girl. This is not a young woman. This is not a woman. This is a little girl. They dragged this little girl, her family, and her doctor through the mud. They doxed them in Fox News, the Wall Street Journal, and every organ of the reactionary right media said it was a hoax, that it never happened. They are willing to sacrifice a little girl on the altar of their desire for power. And if there's anything more despicable than that, guys, I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you what, when I think about that little girl whose name I don't know, whose picture I haven't seen, and who I'm probably never going to know, is enough to get me out of the bed in the morning, it should be for y'all too. Because it'll start with a 10-year-old girl. It'll start with kids at the border. It starts with asylum seekers trying to come to the United States to save their own lives. And soon it'll be us. And that sounds a little dark. It sounds a little depressing, but that's what we're up against, gang. These are some bad people, and they want to do bad things. And so every time you think, my work doesn't matter, my vote doesn't matter, think about that little girl. 
And think about what if it was your little girl. All right. Lynette Way, and if I got your name wrong, Lynette, I'm sorry. If Trump does have a pocket pardon, can he use that or try to use it if he gets charged for the Espionage Act or any of his multiple lawsuits? What's to stop Trump from jotting down a note today and calling it a pardon that was written while he was in office? Okay, well, a couple of things, Lynette. Remember that the presidential pardon only applies to federal crimes. So if we saw in New York that they're opening a fraud investigation against him, the pardon doesn't do him any good. At this point, he's already said that he declassified documents with his mind. So would he write, I pardon myself on a piece of paper and say that I'm free and clear? He could. No one will care except for his supporters and Fox News. And also there is a pardon process in the White House. It goes through the White House counsel's office. And I assume there's some paperwork that Trump does not have because he didn't do it. And so, no, I think the pocket pardon thing is a fantasy, like so much of what Donald Trump does. Okay. Larry Willard asks, I can't wait to hear what Jenny Thomas is going to say to the January 6th committee. What else do you think will come out of the next round of hearings? How will they influence the 2022 midterms? All right, so let's take these, Larry, one at a time. I think the only thing you're likely to hear from Jenny Thomas is, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. I'm going to use the Fifth Amendment. Under advice of counsel, I'm going to plead the Fifth Amendment. If she comes in to an interview with congressional investigators and answers questions honestly, I would be shocked. Now, of course, I'm wrong about a lot of things, so it might happen. But given the fact that Mrs. Thomas, there are so many records, whether or not that's emails, text messages, or other I'm going to say incriminating, and lawyers probably get mad at me, but certainly point towards her efforts, if not leadership, around the events leading up to January 6th and her desire for Donald Trump to remain in office. I have a hard time believing, given her husband is a Supreme Court justice, that she'll do anything other than come in, say, I take the fifth about 62 times and walk back out, go to dinner with her husband and talk about how she got away with it. So next piece is, what do I think will come out of the next round of hearings? So I think that we're likely to see a bit of a recap, just like you see in like, you know, last time on Insurrection America, right? And they'll go back through, you know, some of the things that we've learned. If they have some all-star witnesses, they'll bring those out. They say that September 28th could be the last hearing. I'm not sure that I believe that, but maybe it will be. And then sometime before Election Day, they will probably wrap it up put out an official report about their findings. Wouldn't surprise me if, you know, at that time they transmit a whole bunch of documents, testimony, et cetera, et cetera, to the Justice Department for them to decide if there's anything worth doing. And so I think that's what you'll see later this month. How do they influence the 2022 midterms? I think that the thing it has the best ability to do is probably further frustrate and turn off those long-standing Republicans, probably older Republicans, who watched the hearings in July and said, I don't like this. This is not what I believe the United States of America to be. I believe we are a democracy. It sure looks an awful lot like these people were trying to steal an election and would do anything to keep Donald Trump in power. And I don't want this guy back. I just want all of this craziness to end. And, you know, if that means that there's Two, three, four, five percent of, you know, Republican voters who stay home flip for a Democrat. You know, that's the difference between Democrats being successful in November and, you know, potentially not. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about the midterms. 
So Wendy Hamill asks, now that the midterm elections are just over a month away, how does the Lincoln Project strategy change for the home stretch, or does it? Well, Wendy, I think that we have talked about this previously, and you've heard Jeff Timmer, Trigby Olson, Stuart, Rick, Joe talk about this too, is that we see the 2022 elections in the context of American democracy. You know, back in Washington, they have a committee for everything, for the House, for the Senate, for the governors, for the attorneys general, everything else. We say, what are the races that are going to most affect American democracy in 2022 and 2024? From our perspective, those are the governors and secretaries of state races where they are in places like Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Those are presidential swing states, two of them, Arizona and Pennsylvania. The Republican Party is being represented by Carrie Lake and Doug Mastriano, respectively, who are full-on ultra-maga, white Christian nationalist, big lie believers. They have said, if Donald Trump runs again, we'll make sure our state's electors go to Donald Trump. Doug Mastriano has said that he's going to appoint a secretary of state, this woman whose name I don't recall. She was the head of the fake electors scam in Pennsylvania. That's who he said he's going to appoint. These people cannot be allowed to achieve public office. We need to help Governor Sisolak in Nevada. We need to help Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. And we need to help Governor Evers in Wisconsin to make sure that these states stay in the hands of pro-democracy candidates. And that's what we'll be working on. Now we'll be going in to really dive deep on our soft Republican, what we call our ban in line voters. Those are the people who I just mentioned, like, don't like the January 6th stuff. They probably don't like the stuff that they hear from Tucker Carlson or Steve Bannon on Ukraine. They might even consider themselves pro-life, but they don't like the Supreme Court ruling in all of these states that are basically outlawing abortion, no exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother. They don't like the extremity of the Republican Party as it is today. And so those are the people we want to say, is this who you are? Are you really going to vote for a guy like Doug Mastriano? Is that the table you're going to sit at? And I think a lot of Republicans... It doesn't need to be a lot. Let me rephrase that. It just needs to be enough Republicans are going to say, I don't want that. The other part here, Wendy, is, you know, our union efforts. And I've said this before, gang, join the union.us. We have 70 partner organizations, 60,000 volunteers across the states where we are now putting those calls to action and those people into places where they are now going to significantly, I believe, either supplement or beef up get out the vote efforts in our key states, key counties, key precincts, and working with some of our local partners to ensure whatever help we can provide from a get out the vote perspective that we are doing our part. And so it is going to be a busy six weeks or so, five and a half, six weeks, but there's no place that we'd rather be. Okay. Pixie Priest on Instagram asks, if the Democrats win the midterms, what would be the biggest difference from today? So Pixie Priest, I assume you're talking about what happens if Democrats win. Well, from my perspective, the first most important thing is that the anti-democratic ultra-maga candidates have lost and that they are not going to be preparing to take office in their given state or for their given position. What happens for the next two years, I think, remains to be seen. It's hard to sometimes look around the corner that far. My guess is, is that President Biden and his administration along with the potentially Democratic Congress, will continue to try and do things that ease inflation, stave off a recession, probably get the infrastructure pieces you know, that they signed back in November moving, continued support for Ukraine. 
So I think that they frankly just want to go about the business of governing, which is something we haven't had in a while. So if we get a twofer of sane government and preserve democracy, like that's enough for me. All right. Megan Peterson asks, am I crazy or do you think Trump has purposely endorsed all these crazy candidates because he knows they'll lose and then he can continue to claim the elections are rigged against his people, further inflaming his MAGA crowd? Wouldn't this be exactly what he needs to rile up the base for more excuses for violence? Megan, it's a great question. Let me say, I think you give Trump too much credit for strategic thinking. And when I mean too much, I mean any at all. He endorsed these candidates because of a variety of reasons. Herschel Walker was a football player. Dr. Oz was on television. J.D. Vance was on television, kissed his ass, and had a nice golf swing. Carrie Lake, Doug Mastriano have been acolytes of the highest order. So a lot of these people have done either just enough to get an endorsement, like a Tim Michaels in Wisconsin, or have done everything the guys asked for. I do think there's an important part of your question, which is, if his candidates lose, yes, he may say it was rigged. If it's close, more likely what I think is that he will blame it on Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans and say, if you had gotten behind my people like you were supposed to, then they would have won. And they didn't win because of you. And I think the same for the United States House, which is if Republicans do not take the House, which is admittedly an uphill thing, he will blame it on Kevin McCarthy and, you know, anybody else he can think of to say, this was your job. If you'd done what I told you, you know, you'd be speaker, blah, 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 blah. Because remember that Trump is never going to take responsibility for anything. He certainly wouldn't take responsibility for helping pick a bunch of not only unqualified, but fundamentally unserious candidates for high office. On flaming the MAGAcrat, I think, Megan, there's another important piece here too, which is as I mentioned on my conversation with Michael Steele that you guys have probably already heard, I, I see the Republican Party in sort of three segments, and it's a little fuzzy in between them, but there's the sort of rump of the party, right? 20, 25% Republicans that maybe I would have been one. Normal, decent, not overly conservative. They believe in the strong national security, fiscal responsibility, you know, individual liberty, the sort of three pillars of the old Republican Party. The next, you know, I think is probably the biggest chunk, which is sort of Trump. He's in the middle. But then there's this third segment, and I think this segment has both the energy and the growth potential, is ultra MAGA. Those are the people who revere Tucker Carlson and Steve Bannon. They are the people who, again, believe Russia is in the right and Ukraine is in the wrong. That the abortion decision, there should be zero abortions for anybody. They're white Christian nationalists. They believe we are a country founded on the Bible and that the Bible should take precedence over the United States Constitution. And you can see Trump is now moving to where they are. This is also the QAnon crowd, the Proud Boys, all of these people. I think he's instinctually understanding that he needs to be with them because they're spawns of his, but they don't necessarily belong to him anymore. And so I think he's going to try and solidify a base because, you know, he assumes maybe somebody will run for president against him, and he wants to make sure that those people are locked up. And as I said to somebody else earlier today, Donald Trump will do anything. And if that means he's got to go whole hog for QAnon and the Proud Boys in order to win the Republican nomination, that's what he's going to do. Does Ron DeSantis do that? I don't know. Does Ted Cruz do that? He might because he's a terrible person. But do some of these other guys, are they willing to do it? And frankly, are they able to do it? And I think that's sort of Trump's 
weird gift in all this, if that's the right way to put it, is that he lives in a place that none of these other pretenders do. All right. Well, listen, guys, before we get out of here, there's one thing I have to say. All right. So Steve Bannon, who is evil and crazy, but not stupid, has just told his listeners that he has personally recruited 11,000 people to go be election observers across the country. These are Republicans. They're probably ultra MAGA. These are people whose whole job is to protest not only voting if they don't like it, but individual votes. They're going to contest individual votes all over the country to try and, one, throw as much dust into the air as they can, and two, disqualify as many votes as they can so that they can further this idea that voter fraud is widespread, that the elections are not free, that the elections are not fair, that they're fraud-ridden. Don't believe a word of it. Do not believe a word of it. This is someone who is a self-avowed Leninist, not John Lennon, Vladimir Lenin. He wants to burn down America's institutions, burn them to the ground, and rebuild them in whatever dystopian, freakish way he sees fit. He's already talking about recruiting people to go work in the federal government if Donald Trump gets elected again so they can tear out the wiring from the inside. Guys, this stuff is real. It is real, and we cannot allow it. If you are able and if you are willing and you live somewhere near your polling place and you are willing to go serve as a poll worker or an elections observer, someone who can be part of the process, perhaps the most important part of the process, please do so. You can find all the information at your local county office, at your voter registrar's office, probably at your secretary of state's office. But this is the time, guys, where we're going to need you. There are hundreds of thousands of you listening to this right now. I'm asking for your help. We cannot let the Steve Bannons and his 11,000 MAGA mooks around the country steal elections from the American people. That's what they want to do. They want to make sure that enough Americans believe that none of this is legitimate, that people get frustrated, scared, or sick of the whole thing and just say, I'm not going to participate. Without y'all, this doesn't happen. Without y'all, the American experiment is in peril. Guys, I know you can do this. I know we can do this together. You've been with us nearly three years. We got five weeks to go here. This is what we need to do now. This is where the rubber of campaigning meets the road of voting. We have to get it done, and we have to make sure that anybody who wants to participate can do so freely, fairly, and safely without fear of intimidation or anybody yelling in their face about who it is they're going to vote for. Go out and do this. We must do it. All right, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for giving me your time, giving me your ears. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy doing this every week. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all the emails you send, even when you're mad at me or you disagree with me. I love it all because it means you're engaged and you care about this mission. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Find me on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Keep the questions coming. Keep the comments coming. And I'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. 
To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. Also, be sure to check out our growing LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Monday at noon Eastern. Plus, we'd love you to check out our newest show, The Game We're In, with Maya May and Trigby Olson, which airs Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.